Welcome to Affable Chat. Uh, my name is Benjamin, and I'm here with two special guests, my regular guest, Joey, and joining us for the first time, Justin. Welcome to both of you. Uh, yeah, thank you for uh, having us on your podcast, dude. Pleasure as always. All right, so today we're discussing a uh, 1995 film, Heat, uh, with an absolutely star-studded cast. This movie was recommended to us, or requested uh, by at WT White Seven, one of the, our loyal listeners, who uh, who wanted to hear our thoughts on this movie and uh, what a movie it was. Very long, two hours, fifty-two minute runtime. This is uh, it was definitely you, it's you, it, a little dense. You gotta really uh, commit to the bit with this. One. Oh yeah, yo, I honestly like we may have bitten off more than we can chew with this one. <laughs> it is a, there's a lot in this. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah, I don't uh, know if we're sure. we're that professional of critics that we can really dive that deep, but I mean, I'm willing to try. This is a, this is a really ambitious movie, so it's well, yeah, every yeah, yeah, every time I sit in front of this mic, sometimes I'm not sure if I'm up to it, but we'll we'll, we'll give it our best go we'll as always. Best go. What I'm really interested in, uh, Joey, is did you? How were you able to summarize this movie in a, uh, a synopsis? In our, in oh, a synopsis. Oh, yeah. Well, let me uh, let me tell you right now. With please, please, synopsis. please do, Joey. <clears throat> in heat. We follow career criminal Neil McCauley and his crew of professional criminals. After a job takes an ugly turn thanks to newcomer Wayne Grow, the crew attracts the attention of super cop Vincent Hanna. Or Hanna? Hanna. Um, Vincent begins to track Neil and his crew and witnesses them attempting to pull another job, but Neil smells bacon and pulls out before the job is complete. He and his crew are on high alert and aware of Vincent's attention, but they decide it is worth it to attempt one more big score. Vincent offers Neil a chance to sit down and talk, and the two men discover that they aren't very different at all. They display their mutual respect and offer insight into each other's lives. However, the conversation ends with both saying they will not hesitate to take the other out if they have no other choice. Neil and his crew pull the bank job and nearly make it out before Vincent shows up. Vincent had been tipped off by Wayne who was still pissed about being thrown out of the group for being so unprofessional. An intense firefight ensues in the streets of L.A., and two of Neil's men are killed. Another is injured badly. Neil decides it's best to cut and run, and attempts to make it to the airport and escape Vincent's clutches. Vincent learns of Wayne Grove's location and uses that information to lure Neil into a trap. Neil learns of Wayne Grove's whereabouts and takes the bait. He stops running to find and kill the man who betrayed his team. But after killing Wayne Grove, he runs straight into Vincent, who pursues him into an airfield. Vincent catches Neil and kills him, and the movie ends with Neil dying and Vincent holding his hand. Um, well, I think the first thing we can talk about in this movie is the expert cast we have, um, almost an ensemble cast, I would say, uh, participating in this movie. Agreed. I, like no, Normally, I would say like a guy like Al Pacino can carry a movie by himself. A guy like Robert De Niro can carry a movie by himself. By himself. Uh, Val Kilmer. But we get all of them at the same time which is really nice and honestly one of the things that interested me most about this movie it's sort of like a uh like a best of the 90s kind yeah because uh, there's a lot of like classic 90s uh uh film actors and actresses here um yeah definitely i mean it's very like nice some movie. some of the lesser known ones like john voight um and what's the guy's name william fitcher who i've seen in all these movies um and also natalie portman a young natalie portman too young natalie and um, also one of my favorite char- or, like, character actors, I guess, is uh, his name is uh, Ted Levine, 
Um, he plays the character of Bosco, which is one of the lieutenants, I guess, or one of the detectives on Al Pacino's team. He uh, He's known, or to me at least, as being Chief Stolemeyer from the Monk series that used to play in USA. Love that show. I love seeing him as a cop because he's just such a perfect like cop guy. So it's awesome seeing him in these big picture roles. Yeah, and while we're shouting out other works, I'll, I'll shout out Jeremy Piven, who plays Dr. Bob in this movie. Uh, a very low-key role for a guy who uh, ends up being... like uh, His career definitely goes upward from here on Entourage, at least. Okay. Yeah, I'm not familiar with him. Oh, oh don't forget uh, Danny Trejo bas- oh, basically yes. playing himself playing in this movie. Himself. Yeah, isn't his last name Trejo? It, yes. Uh, and it, like, like, refer to him... They the refer to him as Trejo. Yeah. Yes, I do. I, was like, I, don't, I don't know what that means. I mean, I mean, he actually used to be like a criminal. Like he used to like run scams and was was like in jail for a long time, and he like turned his wife around and became an actor. So wow. Yeah, he's he's got a really cool story. Um, and it's like, definitely spe- fun to see him on screen. Speaking of that, like this story is kind of based on a, a true story in a way. Um, Neil McCauley is a real criminal, um, and there is this guy whose name is. Oh, man. Um, his name is Chuck Adminson, and that's um, who Vincent ha- Hanna's uh, character is based on. And he was a real-life cop who consulted with Michael Mann on this movie. And um, it's basically kind of based on this whole story between um, Adminson and McCulley, where Adminson actually met up with McCulley, like, had, like, a dinner with him, showed him his respect, and then later shot and killed him. So, Wow. Damn. Well, it's it's uh, definitely adds a lot more value to the uh, to what this movie is to know it's I guess inspired by a true story. Mm. Did do you know if like the final like showdown happened in like a airport or like an airfield? No, apparently it was a lot less interesting. It was like it was like a bank heist kind of thing, or something like the. Oh, so there were other we people s- around. It wasn't just the two of them. Okay. Are we saying that? Um, so like uh, in the movie, there's the whole bank heist sequence that um kind of like it goes off and it like spills out into the streets and stuff so are we saying like um irl um he was taken down like at the bank heist and he was just shot and now it's just the end of it i don't know exactly when it was but that's interesting you bring up the bank heist as a real event because it because this movie is credited with inspiring a real bank heist um like based on its actual events. Wait, a- so after the movie was made, it, like a real life bank heist happened? Yeah, um, it was it's known as the North Hollywood Shootout, it, and it was in 1997, which was two years afterward. And the the main perpetrator, Larry Phillips, um, he like stole from a bank. It was, it was him and one other guy, and he apparently had a copy of this movie in his house. Um, and it was and <laughs> when they were when they were like. Showing this this uh, this on TV and stuff. This movie was credited as being an inspiration, or or at least linked to it. I don't know if that's true. It's probably just sensationalism. But um, yeah, if he had video games, they would probably. If he had Grand Theft Auto, they'd be like, "Did Grand Theft Auto brainwash well, this man?" Speaking into- of Grand Theft Auto, there's a there's a heist in Grand Theft Auto Five that is a um a homage to this movie, where you what? actually mow mow over an armored car and then rob it. Okay, I'll be honest, this did seem a lot like Grand Theft Auto, yeah. especially the part where they're sprinting through the airfield with a pistol <laughs> in their hand. Like, I've done that a million times on, like, where you're like, ah, 
man, good thing my character doesn't get tired because I'm like running really far. Um, which both of them, they were definitely uh, running. I mean, really yeah, they were running from the hotel, and then they ran like through the streets, and then they ran through like an airport hangar, and then they just go to an air like open airfield. Well, it, they do they do establish that that the place that Wingro is staying is at the airport. So okay, that's, that's not, true. That is they true. didn't actually yeah. run that far. Well, they <laughs> did run a long way on like on the tarmac. So. Well, they get into the like they get onto the tarmac yeah. by like sliding through the bushes, and I mean I guess it's the 90s but like where's the airport security like these guys are just <laughs> running onto an airfield with guns pre 9-11 i guess pre so i mean truly truly because that uh that was a surprise to me but also yeah that is probably just a uh a time period type thing the same another thing that was like very uh 90s of it that i, I love seeing was these houses that were really nice because they obviously uh like Von Vant, Von Zant, the Von the, Zant. Oh yeah, Von yeah. Zant, uh, and you know Robert De Niro. Like the, these characters all had nice places that they lived because oh, they all Van had money. Zant. Oh, Van Zant, yes, and they all had money, but they had the worst TVs ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, um, can we talk about how like all the TVs are just like. The like old like box TVs. Well, yeah, because that's what they had at the, the time. Yeah. But it's like looking. I thought at they just TV, really liked Melee. Well, <laughs> well, like from twenty, looking at it back from twenty eighteen, the architecture is still impressive. Like that house would probably still be something that someone rich would live in. Yeah, exactly. But the TV is terrible. I don't know. That, I, that's something I haven't noticed before. Looking back at old movies, <laughs> but uh, back then, rich people had like TVs that had like the green numbers in the top right when you change yeah, like the channel. Hello. Oh, uh, my personal favorite is having uh, seeing the uh, the scene where he like kicks his TV out of the car. Um, after like fighting so hard to like keep it, um, yeah. Uh, it's and like um, that's from the scene with Ralph, and he's like, you don't get to watch my like fucking television set. Um, and like he just decides like it like it kick he just kicks it out of the car and like it shatters to a billion pieces instead of just like uh breaking like a flat screen would. Um, right. and I don't know. Looking back at like 1985, TVs are just hilarious back then. Um, because they're just they're just boxes. They're just all box in that tubes, it. man. It's all a series of tubes. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. So yeah, I mean, we can talk a little bit about like I think this is a good lead-in into Vincent's character, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting uh, seeing the dynamic between De Niro and and uh, Pacino in this movie, um, but focusing more on on Vincent and Pacino, um, he kind of has this like weird relationship with his wife, kind of sort of ex-wife. It's like a separated marriage, but he has a stepdaughter who I assume like. You assume it's her kid based on the context of their explanations. But um, he kind of has this whole disconnect with her, right? I mean, that's why she starts cheating on him with Ralph, this guy. Um, and he's, like, hanging out in his, uh, what's it, dead tech, postmodernistic bullshit house. Nice. Um, nice. It's this kind of, like, he, he can't live a regular life, right? He's trying to protect his wife, you could even say, from, like, the horrors of his job. Um and, I mean, in doing so, he totally alienates himself from the rest of his family, and he becomes totally obsessed with the, the, his job and, like, becomes a, um, addicted to catching criminals. Yeah, but I don't know. Did you feel like her response was 
proportional to how much, or just like appropriate for uh, what he was dealing with. Because he was obviously dealing with some like serious criminal activity and doing his job well. Like he, he's very much needed uh, to law enforcement. But every time he returns to her, it seems like she's like, oh, what were you at work again? Like, uh, I, 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 I just, I didn't, I wasn't sold on the disconnect between him and his wife. Because it seemed like he was trying to at least be somewhat affectionate to her. I, yeah. I, I definitely, oh, sorry, go ahead, Justin. Um, well, it was like that scene where um, she literally says like, oh, you, like, you don't really like, live your life with me. You live it like with dead people and like trying to hunt down like your prey. And mm-hmm. like. I don't know. Uh, he even goes into the. Um, it's a separate scene, but he goes into the scene where he's like, "Oh, well, um, I deal with like, some pretty horrific shit, and uh, I'm trying to like protect you, and you have to kind of share me with all of the terrible, like, ugly people in the world." Yeah. And I don't know. There's kind of some truth to that because he is like he is supposed to be a, uh, for lack of a better word, a hero. Um, he's like a you know LAPD law enforcement LAPD. And then they yep. said this in yep. this movie. Yep. Yeah, he's an LAPT like super detective, and he has to take down these like you know, master criminals like uh, like Neil, mm. um, who um, as like, I guess um, I'll get back to it. But um, he has to take down Neil, and like I feel that um, the why I don't know like maybe I don't know like marriage because I'm not married, but like <laughs> him just like doing his job <laughs> upsets her. And, like, how do you, like, get, I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I felt, too. It almost well, seemed like him just having this job was too much for her. I, I disagree. I think that they really sell how much she cares about him and how he doesn't show any affection to her, right? He does say things with his words, but his actions speak louder than that, right? Um, I mean, she actually says to him when she's cheating on him with, with Ralph, she says, you have... Um, you've been walking through our life dead, and now I have to demean myself with Ralph to get closure with you. And or, and the only thing that really brings them together is Natalie Portman's attempted suicide at the end. You know, yeah. this intense tragedy, which is something that he can deal with really well, but something that she doesn't experience as much as he does. So it's, you know, him being there for that was was it but in the end that even that wasn't enough. You know, his own daughter's attempted suicide wasn't enough to keep him around. So what would be? And Agreed. Like, well, I guess that kind of reflects like uh, against Robert De Niro's character, who recognized that his job, his job, yeah. uh, his his lifestyle that he's chosen, is going to be too much to keep other people in it. And he did, and that whole don't like have anybody that you can't walk out on in, in 30, 30, 30 seconds if flat. when the heat is on. Uh, yeah. Right. So i guess uh, i guess i can see it as kind of like the uh the other side of it where you try to have the best of both worlds you try to have your cake and eat it too and you can't well i don't know it's just a balance right and they i mean it teaches i think this movie does portray balance in, a, in an attractive way in that like you need both you need that family life but you also need your job in order to be a functional human being and if you focus too much on one thing you're gonna be really good at it but at what cost exactly you know and i mean I think De Niro's character Neil says it best when he's talking to Vincent in the diner. He says, "If you're on me and you got to move when I move, how do you expect to keep a marriage?" Right? Like, yeah, the, yeah. Their lifestyles reflect each other, but also encourage each other, right? And having them, you know, be associates in the same line of work almost, right, means that um, they kind of have to make all these sacrifices in order to keep up with each other. Um, I know we're gonna get into like the um, the diner scene. I just want to note that um, Vincent and Neil are sort of uh, I don't know. I guess they're sort of like the two sides of the same coin. 
Yes. Where like one of them is doing his job so well and like has a family that's you know getting ruined, and the other one is also just like a master criminal, but like wants a family, and that's why yeah. he's going after Edie. Which, um, I don't know. I I almost want to say it was kind of like forced because there's the whole scene where he's like having dinner with like the uh, the families of like his crew, and he like sees all like the happy marriages and or just happy right. I guess relationships. I don't know. Um. But- that didn't resonate with you, uh, Justin. Like I, 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 I don't know. That that was such a, an like, it was such a clear scene, right? Like this oh, guy, no, he has everything he ever wanted, right? He's a perfect at his job, and yet he looks around and he sees what his friends, what he sees what his friends has and what he doesn't have, and like, it's just so obvious, like in that moment that like, you have to come back to what makes you a human being, right? Like you can't right. just be a criminal all the time. You have to like have those emotional connections, and I feel like that. Going to Edie at that moment is um, hit breaking his rule, like putting more attachment on her than he needs to, but also like a moment of pure weakness, right? Something that we would all fall into. I agree, which I think is why he, um, as soon as he decides that he will really like likes this girl, he really kind of like locks that shit down. Um, you know what I mean? He like calls her back and he wants to like see her again. And he really like, I don't know, I guess he like works the charm like he would um, like on a job. Sure. You know what I mean? And then, um, I don't know, it's sort of, because um, he sees, like, Vincent coming towards the end when they're, like, escaping the hospital, and he has to, like, yeah. make a choice. And he has to choose between, um, like, getting Edie involved and, like, risking her safety or following his own advice and just, you know, walking out if you know the heat's coming. Yeah. Um, or, or even walking out with Edie, uh, which that leads to another, like, like choice he has to make but yeah i do kind of I, i'm, I'm start, sort of wrapping my head a little bit better around this theme of like the balance between your work and your life and honestly i think both of these guys are in a line of work where if you want to actually be the best at your job you can't include anybody else in i think life. that's true for any job honestly i think that's like something that you can really relate to i mean it's it's romantic in this movie because this is a crime thriller but it's it's true for anything. If you don't have those emotional like connections, you don't have those people that you can turn to when you know the heat is on. Then, and what do you have really? Well, tr- true, but at the same time, it's like when the pressure's on at work, and you've got you know criminals who are working around the clock against you, or, or you got to keep up with. You don't have time for your daughter to be committing suicide in their bathtub, and you don't have time for your wife to be fucking Ralph. You know, you've got you've got a job to do, and and if Pacino is their the, the best they have, right? And and I like I guess that's kind of maybe why I felt the way I felt uh, about his wife uh, Justine, right? About yeah. Justine's dis, like basically just uh, their marriage falling apart because. He is doing his job really well, and and it, and because he's doing it so well, he doesn't have time for his home life. But could you really? It, would it even be moral for him to do his actual job less well, like to protect innocent people and to like? That, I don't know. That's such a good question, and I think it kind of plays into what what Justin was saying earlier. Is that like Vincent is a hero? But I don't know if that's even really true, right? I think these these two guys ride the moral line both ways, right? And having one of them be a criminal and one of them be a cop um like just kind of this movie makes it seem so arbitrary right that they could actually get along they could be best friends they could be brothers in a different life when they were doing something different but because of the arbitrary nature of like their roles in society they can never be that way and it's just going to end in disaster and i think it's kind of go ahead 
Um, honestly, um, not to, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, um, I honestly makes me really think about the definition of the protagonist and an antagonist because sure. watching this movie, um, it's supposed to be like very clear that, um, you know, from like a movie perspective, Neil is like the antagonist because he's like the main character and he has to do all this, you know, crap in the movie. And Vincent is the, um, you know, the antagonist hero cop who, you know, has to stop him and, like, you know, save the day. Right. But, you know, even just saying that sentence, it's like um, the criminal mastermind who, like, should be the antagonist um, is being stopped by the, you know, like, hero good cop, uh, the protagonist. And honestly, sometimes, like, I was really, you know, rooting for Neil in this movie. Absolutely. I mean, I definitely wanted him to um, uh, win their uh, intense chess game because that's really what mm. it turned into. Um, maybe not like midway through the movie, but like a little after the the midway point. Um, I agree and, with that analogy um, wholeheartedly. Uh, the chess game, and yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. You bring that up. You know, the protagonist is the person who wants to accomplish something. The antagonist is something who is the other guy, right? I mean, if you look at Marvel's Infinity War, Thanos is the protagonist because he wants to accomplish something, and all of our heroes are the antagonists. So by that definition, you kind of get twisted, right? Um, and looking at this movie, but it's almost hard to tell which one is which, you know? One of them wants to capture the guy, one of them wants to get away. They're both trying to accomplish something, and they're both in each other's way. They're both antagonist and protagonist. I feel like you send, spend enough time with both that you learn to love both of them. Which I think is why the diner scene is as amazing as it is. Because it's an amazing scene where um, uh, protagonist and antagonist, regardless of like which one is which... Um, finally get to like sit down and meet and really um, kind of like lay bare how similar and how um, I guess how like like-minded they are yeah like yeah. I, I definitely I, I like the way you said lay bare because that was what I got from that conversation is absolute honesty because mm-hmm. when when they sat down at first I was like okay so who's going to you know what how, how are they going to figure out how much they know about each other and like what were they going to reveal you know because you're talking to a cop so it, it's pretty ballsy to talk to a cop and be like you know i'm gonna keep doing crimes you know and you can't <laughs> stop me that's yeah that's you know that, that that is hardcore which surprised me a little bit but they they were just almost in awe of each other like there's a lot of respect in that yeah. conversation which yeah at that point in the movie you understand that both of them deserve so I, I think that that was a really interesting way to take it. It was less, you know, me versus you and more of like a, I recognize you. Uh, and right before they got too chummy with each other, they definitely reminded <laughs> each other that it's at, you know, at the end of the day, they are uh, against each other and will yeah. do what it takes. We'll kill each other if it they comes are- to um, opposite players on the game board and somebody mm. has to win. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and I think, I was reading a bunch of reviews for this movie just because I, I don't feel qualified. Um, Roger Ebert actually said in one of the last parts of his review that they're not trapped by cliches and also the dialogues allow each of the characters to say what they're really thinking. They're not inarticulate. And um, he says, one of, the, uh, most impris- one of the many imprisonments possible in a world, one of the most worst must be to be inarticulate, to be unable to tell another person how you really feel. These characters can do that, not that it saves them. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think this scene is so incredible because it really is the culmination, not just of everything that happens in this movie, but of these two men's careers, right? Because Pacino is known for his roles as a cop, um, not just like The Godfather, which is obviously a criminal, but like all his stuff that he does um, outside of that. 
you know, all, all these really famous movies. Here, I have some of them listed right here. Um, hold on. Pacino plays smart cops in uh, Serpio, uh, Serpico, excuse me, Sea of Love, um, and Cruising. Um, and he, and then of course, uh, De Niro also plays master criminals in movies like The uh, Goodfellas or Casino or The Untouchables. So, you know, th- these guys have been doing this for such a long time, and this is kind of the first time that they're actually in front of each other, facing each other, and. Yeah, it's it's such an like a really interesting complex scene that goes many levels deeper than just what you're shown in the movie. I, I saw one review that said um, the feeling of the roles assumed are assumed instinctively, and in that like you know who these guys are, you've seen them in movies before, seeing them in, in front of each other, you you know exactly the dynamic that's going on. These guys don't just respect each other as characters in the movie; they respect each other as actors too. So seeing them face off directly. Uh, something really powerful. No, I definitely agree. I, I mean, j- just if you get nothing else from this movie, just De Niro versus Al Pacino, or just the fact that like them sharing the screen uh, is phenomenal. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, yeah, monumental. Like something that you can be like, I saw that. Like uh, this, is, you know, <laughs> it's because a lot of people respect those actors, it. but uh, I'm not sure if everybody like has seen Heat, and uh, yeah. that's almost reason alone to embark on this three hour journey. Absolutely. Um, oh yeah, no, um, definitely. I have to give props to uh, our uh, suggestion by uh, our mutual friend Wesley. Who, uh, <laughs> um, thank you for recommending this movie because it was definitely uh, worth. It was worth the uh, uh, the experience, really, of just watching it. Um, it is like a three-hour movie, though. And that was. Um, oh yeah, but it, like, I don't know. It, it's a clip. It, like really, sure. it really is an epic. I think, like in the the. True like, true, sense of the word. Yeah, exactly. The true meaning of that word, not just like, oh, epic, bro. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it really is like this huge monumental movie that tries to deal with these really deep themes of like what it means to be a cop, but also what it means to be a criminal and, and like what it means to be a professional. Um, and, you know, all these things about balance and um, how like different things breed other things you know these are like powerful characters that move the story forward and in a stylistic but very realistic way um one other thing about that diner scene is that they don't that michael mann actually directed it so that it was it wasn't like distasteful in any way right these are two characters they just sit down together and it's just shot reverse shot there's no like scene where they see both of them in frame facing off each other the guns are pointing at each other under the table or something cheesy like that yeah it's just these two guys you know sitting there in frame together and even at the end like you never actually see both like pacino and de niro's face like even in the same frame they're they're like always the backs are turned and stuff And, and it isn't until like the very last scene of the movie the very last thing where vincent is holding de niro's hand or, or Neil's hand, excuse me. Uh, I keep getting... Gosh, I, I'm surprised I haven't screwed that up more. I, re- I refer to them as their actors <laughs> At this the point, whole time. Yeah. Anyway, so the, when they're holding hands, like that's when you first see their full bodies in frame together. And like I mean, it's, he builds that so nicely, right? It's not catering to, oh, I love Pacino and, and De Niro. Let's see him face off, you know? It's not like, who would win in a fight? It's, let's see these guys act their asses off to the best of their ability and do it extreme justice. So Yeah, no, and I, I want to focus on, like, talking about the camera angles. This movie is, uh, like, there's not a whole, there's a lot of interesting angles in this uh, movie where there's, like, yeah. you know, from 
from long cuts to just uh, interesting perspectives. Uh, it's it's always something interesting to look at, uh, which I like. It's it's kind of hard to summarize it, but it's like throughout this movie, there's creative camera angles all over the place uh, that keep you visually engaged. It's very you, well shot, that's for sure. Did you watch the Nerdwriters video in this movie? I did not. No. Um, I recommend it. It's really interesting. Just look at Nerdwriter on YouTube. Look up Heat. Um, oh, he does, I'm very familiar with Nerdwriter's he, work. He's, he's, he's really he's good. Great. And he, he did a, a video about this movie. He talks about how they used long lenses, the kind of lenses they use for stakeouts. And he used it for all of these uh, shots, almost all the shots in the movie, so that you're super close to your actors. Um, but So you're super intimate with, with them, but the backgrounds kind of fade away to almost nothing. It's just like a whitewashed, like, thing of colors a kaleidoscope of colors so um i noticed it, that yeah. especially when they were looking over uh when when Edie was with yes. de niro for the first time uh they see like they're they're looking out his balcony and they can yeah. see all of los angeles beneath them and it's i i i don't know if i've ever seen uh like los angeles portrayed this way because it, it mm. almost looks bizarre the way that the city is like these glowing lights they almost look computer generated i was i was questioning if it was I, green screen dude yes i want definitely to say, green screen, <laughs> that green um, screen it was, okay so that's not that's not what we're talking about with the, the no no, no uh, glowing i mean that colors. scene no that's that is interesting though because they have that that sea of color and everything and it's interesting how man uh shows los angeles he shows los angeles as empty which it really isn't it's one of the most densely populated cities ever and so like it's so fascinating that he has all like the city becomes part of the story, right? Where it's these empty, isolated streets that these characters stand out in and have firefights and stuff and die in horrific ways. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that scene you're talking about definitely portrays that too, where it's like, it's impersonal in a way, right? There's no people in LA. It's just these guys that are operating on the surface. Yeah, really. The only times you really can see like a crowd, like the LA crowd is during the bank heist scene. And even then, naturally, people there. Right, and and even then, you would be hard pressed to find a street that has that few cars on it in LA. (laughs) Probably, I've heard that. I mean, again, LA is very densely populated. So uh, that scene where they're running up and shooting down their way down the street. uh, Yeah. Well, apparently, it was shot in eighty-five different locations around LA. So, wow. Wow. Okay. Um, I don't know. Also, I guess maybe like. um, I don't know, because I feel like we're thinking about maybe, maybe like, 1990s uh, L.A. is a little different. And, I mean, it has been, like, 20 years for, I guess, like, relatively speaking uh, for us. And sure. maybe, like, back in the 90s, L.A. was not, like, the place to be. And maybe it was a little less, like... No, less I don't think crowded. that's true. I don't know. I, I think it's been was. around for a while. Um, <laughs> I, I always thought it was, like, the, the biggest happening city. But, you know, what do I know? No, it, it, def- I, it definitely is. And I think that's... I think that contrast of not being able to see like the large crowds or anything like that is is definitely on purpose and yeah kind of aids to this alienation of your characters that's kind of present in all kind of your films you could say which is this movie is definitely an homage to so oh i definitely agree um um so let's talk a little bit about about neil and his characters we talked about vincent but we can dive more into to neil a little bit and how he like we already talked about his um his rule right uh, I have it written down. Um, yeah, his word rule. from word. Have no attachments. Allow nothing to be in your life that you can't walk away out in in out on in thirty seconds flat. Um, and this is something that you see him do throughout the movie, right? He he chooses to walk away from that job and saves him and his crew, even though they leave all that equipment behind. Um, you know, he 
when uh, he's with Edie at the very end, he walks out on her, even though he's like made all these sacrifices to be with her, right, and bring her along, and but yep. it's not worth it in the end. Well, I I felt like he thought he could uh, spare her. Well, I, I didn't feel like I, he made the choice to leave her behind until he had to. Like yeah. he wanted to, he was headed to the airport, and then he's like, "Oh, I've got time to do both. I can get revenge, and I can get the girl." But he really couldn't. Got tough time. And he and he doesn't. He doesn't succeed because when it, when he gets out, he was clearly headed for the car. But then when he sees Al Pacino, he goes, "Oh, I guess, I guess the, this is it. I'm, I, I, I have to try to get out right now." And getting in the car with Edie would only do, you know, incriminate her. So uh, he had to leave her behind there. But I don't think that he chose. I don't even think he made the decision to leave her behind until uh, he saw Al Pacino. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what. But that's what you have to do, right? When the heat is coming around the corner, you have to be able to. Just leave it behind bail. in 30 seconds, right? Or 30 seconds flat. And that's what he does. He sits there and he stares at her and he's like, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say I'm sorry. He doesn't say goodbye. He just stares at her and then walks away. And she's like, what? What? What is going on? Yes. Okay. So yeah. let's, let's talk about what's going on in Edie's head because. Well, wait, 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 before we get to Edie, I still want to focus on, on De Niro a little bit more. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Because we can dive into her, but uh, th- there's this theme with him and time, right? Everything about him has to do with time with the very first heist they only have a certain amount of time to do things during the bank heist they only have a certain amount of time when he has that when he's describing his dreams to Pacino at the the diner he says that he has a dream about not having enough time because he feels like he's drowning and he's the water catches up to him and then at the, at the end it's all a, a race against the clock right Vincent is trying to catch up to Neil before he leaves he only has what eight ten hours yeah and and um, Neil gambles that time away to go after Wayne Grow, makes the wrong choice, doesn't walk away in 30 seconds flat, and he pays for, th- for his, with his life. I like that. That was a, a lot is, of good connections. I, yeah, I hadn't really thought true. about that, but especially the dream. Because that was, when I heard him talk about the dream, I was like, this has to be some, some next level symbolism type <laughs> shit. But I just yeah. don't get it. Uh, but I, I, I yeah, agree That was a that, lot but... of this movie for me, honestly. Um, I don't know. Um, I definitely felt like I... Um, I don't know. I was kind of a similar boat. Just like I know, like this is supposed to be like really important, but why is it really important? But now, like uh, Joy, that you kind of explained it, um, hit it so like just on the head. Um, now I completely didn't get it. Oh, thanks. Um, but so Justin, how, what did what did Neil mean to you? Like, Neil can you describe his character. I don't know. Neil was sort of like the criminal mastermind that has to uh keep like he's sort of like the um the over like dearing boss he's like everything's got to be like on the clock and like yeah. i don't care what kind of like personal shit you're going through like this will happen and this will get done and um i guess like my um the specific like example i'm trying to bring up is when uh uh, uh de niro's character neil is just i think he's doing what he's whatever he's doing and he sees uh um hank azaria's character oh totally yeah leave charlene um, and he's like, who the hell is that? Um, and then he like totally confronts her about it. And he's like, you will give him one more chance or like, so help me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he clearly, even though, cause I, I think his conversation with Chris, uh, Val Kilmer in his living room says a lot about who he is as a person, because first off, Chris is sleeping on the floor because he's trying to crash at De Niro's place, but he has no furniture. <laughs> and he goes like, when are you going to get, uh, when are you going to get furniture? He's like, I'll get around to it. Like he's so committed to his work. He doesn't even have time to buy furniture for yeah. his living room. But his conversation with Chris is, shows that he clearly values a relationship, uh, like Chris has with his wife. So, mm-hmm. and it, so much that he's willing to intervene to try to make things better for Chris. 
yeah. which I mean, what I think I gather from that is despite him not having that family, to not having his own wife, his own furniture, uh, he still sees the value in that and even wants it. Did you just compare uh, wives to furniture? I'm comparing wa- having furniture to having a personal life, which okay. includes having a wife. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and sorry, I'm trying to take you out of context. And, yeah, I, yes. I, I I totally agree with that. And and like I think that that scene that Justin just referenced is a great example of how, um, like he tries to nip problems in the bud. Right? He's like. I see a thing, I need to fix it right now, or it's going to come back to bite me later. And it, I mean, it kind of does in the end, but, um, you know, he tries to fix these things, right? He tries to take, he tries to micromanage kind of these, the lives of the people that are close to him because, you know, he knows he has no other choice. Um, and that's just part of being an extreme professional, right? Yeah, it's just like, you have to keep your crew, like, you know, knit tight and together. It's sort of like this scene where, um, I don't know, it's sort of like rewarded, though, in that... Um, when it's time to really like make a decision on the bank heist and it's just like you know what like this is going to be some like pretty risky stuff there's a lot yeah. of heat going around right now um you either with me or you know just cut and Did you say even there's like, a heat wave um yeah dude there's a heat wave totally <laughs> um but like i think it's when de niro is um talking to uh what's his name um i got i got to look him up but he essentially it- says uh it's, it's uh michael sharito uh, yeah, yeah. Tom Sizemore's character, I'm I'm pretty sure, but um, it's uh, he's like um, like what should I do, Neil? I don't really know like what um, what's what like what I should play here, and you always know what like what's best for me. And he's like, yeah, listen, like if I were you, I just you know cut and bail. You don't need this in your life. You got a wife and kids, and like you know like fuck getting them in danger. You know what I mean? Losing mm-hmm. that, um, or him dying in the or him, him dying, which um eventually does happen, and it's just like. Um, nah, I'm with you, ride or you know, ride or die. And well, he says he's. It's about the action, right? He says it's. It's not yeah. about the money. It's about doing something like doing something crazy, right? It's, yeah. He's an adrenaline junkie in a way. So, yeah, but that, I mean that's a really good point, and, and it show it kind of shows that contrast between him and Neil, right? Where Neil doesn't care, right? He has the money, he has this stuff, he does this because it's his job. It's not because yep. he loves it. But I don't know. Um, I think, like, Neil, um, I don't know, I think Neil kind of, like, treats his crew like, uh, extended family members, even, um, especially how, like, he even has, like, just, ca- like, dinner with, um, with all of them and their families. I did notice yeah. that, like, yeah, uh, criminals um, that eat dinner together stay together, I think, like, that showed <laughs> a, a kind of a different side of it, I don't know, I thought it was interesting that they were, uh, so tightly knit especially because at the beginning when we see uh wang grow yeah get he like climbs into the truck and he, he introduces himself i was like okay yeah. classic uh team criminal activity where you don't tell anybody your name uh, which mm-hmm. i guess they introduce themselves <laughs> but, dogs. but like yeah you yeah. mix a bunch of randoms together so that it's harder to trace it back to the original person who like right. put it together uh but that's not the case wang grow is a huge uh, difference from the rest of the squad because the rest of the squad is actually really closely knit, uh, mm. which is a different look at cr- uh, criminals, I guess. They're, they're not necessarily a family, like, related. Not well, like, yeah. But, but they are somewhat um, a family. Yeah, but they can rely on each other, right? I mean, they have to. They have it's to. like, um, not to really, like, uh, take us there, but it's like in uh, Fast and Furious where everyone's, you know, just, it's, you know, family's important. Uh, Dude, I um, love Fast and Furious. Yeah, I don't know but, if this movie drives home well, the right, family values right, as right. far as <laughs> no, no, no. Fast I agree. I, I agree. I agree. 
But no, no, um, definitely not. To um, to show the um, how like family is important aspect with all of these uh, criminals. Um, there's this like the scene where he has dinner with everybody and he's like focusing on everyone's like relationship with their wives or their um, maybe they like their significant others or the kids or, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, he kind of gets like this solemn like look and the whole like scene kind of slows down a little bit and then he calls Edie. Right. And I think that's when he's like, okay, it's time to um, maybe take one last score and just you know stop and just you know the time like get a, time to get around to it. You could say. Yeah, that's that's true. You know, it does seem like he's kind of at the end of his rope in a way. Um, and, and like, you know, he's running out of time. He's running out of everything. And, I mean, it all ends badly for him because of that. But, like, at the end, he kind of gets sloppy, right? I mean, calling Edie, I think, is a moment of weakness. Um, and, I don't know, it's, it's, that's such an interesting part. The, I really like that one part. This is a small thing. When he first meets Edie in the bookstore... Um, he is reading books from the mechanical engineering section, and as a mechanical engineer, I thought I was like, "Hey, do you I recognize could be a criminal too?" Do you... <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you recognize any of the books? No, <laughs> I didn't look that closely. But um, yeah, he was reading a book on on metals. Pretty interesting. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Edie then. So yes, um, okay. So I, I, I like my main concern with Edie, I guess was that she went so quickly from being disgusted and horrified when she found out that Robert De Niro is this huge criminal, literally on the news as she found out about it. <laughs> and then she's like makes the decision on her own to say, I, I want to stay with you uh, mm. a- after such a short amount of time. So I-, I guess maybe I missed her motivation, but I'm curious as to w- w- what helped her make that jump. Because she seemed a pretty... Uh, disturbed initially yeah she like ran away uh almost entirely she just totally tries to bail on the first yeah, go around but remember like why they met in the first place is because they were so lonely right like I, I don't think i think you're right that part isn't like very explicit but it does kind of make sense with what she did earlier right she's really to risk risk having even a short-term relationship with this strange man and so you know to, to make this extra jump right she already knows who he is he's offering her the world you know like there's not much else that that she has going for her at this point and she feels like, like she has it. she doesn't have much of a choice um if she wants to be happy right she's she's trying to define herself in a new way in a way which i think like kind of brings back to an, another point too about defining yourself in this movie but we can talk about that in a second what about what else about Edie? do you um, don't even like I think that, um, not, I guess not to steal the mic from Ben here, um, I think that Edie just, it, I don't know, like, she unnecessarily, like, risks herself, though, because um, when she finds out that uh, Robert's a criminal, Rob, yeah, Robert is a criminal, um, yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she, first of all, she totally tries to run, and then um, he, uh, he takes her to the overpass and is like, hey, like, look, you can either, like, walk away right now and, um, you know, like, totally scot-free, you're totally gonna be fine, doesn't matter. Or mm. you can choose on your own to be with me and, like, love me and, like, you know, just accept that this is what I do and, like, um, go to the next phase of our lives together here. Yeah. And, I don't know, uh, it's kind of like, uh, she just instantly, like, you know, snuggles up to him and, Well, I it's don't not know. instant, it is, there is some reservation there. And also, like, didn't he promise that he was gonna stop? Like, he was going to go to New Zealand and then, you know, see Fiji or whatever. Like, he. Yeah, I guess it's there, true. There's no reason why he has to continue doing what he's doing right now. Yeah, so I, guess he, I, I guess I kind of didn't look at it as much from Edie's 
point uh, current, of view. Well, no, I mean, I was looking at it from a point of view, but like from her current situation, right? Like, what is she leaving in, in to to get this? And it, she's clearly in a place that she doesn't want to be because mm-hmm. she says she moved there for the work, but she doesn't love the work either. She really wants to be a graphic designer. Yeah, and she can did, do anywhere. Right, and she could do even better where uh, in New Zealand, where Robert De Niro will pay for her. her uh, studio yeah so that she can start that up so okay i guess uh, now that we're kind of putting the pieces together i kind of see Edie's motivation a little bit um but maybe she was a little bit dramatic when she found out about him being a criminal okay (laughs) but how would you be all right he totally lied to you and plus he's like a freaking murderer um yeah she oh like she definitely does like bail like immediately um, and she, like, runs into, like, an open field, and he has to, like, catch her and yeah, stuff. Yeah, right, right, like, okay. I, I get it. She did, she, like, it, maybe it's an appropriate response, but for me, the the, the 180 is uh, a little bit of a whiplash, but I can see where this movie sets it up. So I'll, I'll uh, I don't even have to say that I'll forgive it, because I think it's justified. Well, speaking of Edie's job, I want to talk about how, like, this movie talks about jobs and how they define you as a person. I feel like in a capitalist society, in a society, we, <laughs> um... We define ourselves by the jobs that we do, right? I mean, you see this everywhere. You see this on TV. You're like, oh, this guy is a thing. Therefore, he is this kind of person, right? right, right. And or like even on game shows and stuff, they'll define people by their by their professions. Um, and it's just interesting how like we put so much stock into that. And I, I feel like that is justified because what you choose to do it has it says a lot about who you are as a person. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it totally defines you. And and Vincent and Neil don't seem to get that, that last part. I think their their jobs consume them to the point where they are their jobs through and through. They're they're nothing other than what they, what they do. Um, but like the women in their lives try to convince them that there's something else out there, right? That they can also be husbands or fathers, and that could also define them. Um, you know, just as they aren't defined by their work, but they don't seem to listen. And I think that this is perfectly executed uh, by the character uh, Don Breeson. I think that's his name? Yeah, Donald Breeson, played by Dennis Heispert, Heispert, who I think he is the um, the Allstate guy, isn't he? I'm yes, dude, he I'm definitely sure is the Allstate guy. In my, in my anyway. notes for this movie, he's Allstate guy. Yeah, all Allstate way. guy. Oh, yeah. So, so Allstate guy just got out of prison and he's working at a diner and he like hates his job and everything and he, yep. and he has a, a wife or girlfriend and um, she's like, he's like, why are you staying with me? Like, you know, I'm just a stupid fry cook. Who's like. With all this like this bad record, and she's like, "Well, I'm proud of you. I love you anyway." And he's is that, and he's like, "Ah, whatever, woman. Like a woman who's <laughs> dedicated her life to me. Like I don't care about you." So later on, he um, he's at the diner or whatever, and then Neil approaches him and then gets him for the job, and then he's killed in the, during the job, right? But it, there's that key moment where he has to decide whether he's going to be a criminal again or if he's going to change his life around. And he looks at what he's doing right now, and he can't stand it, right? He can't stand the person that he is, who he is defined as. And he decides to make a change towards something that he knows he can be good at, and it gets him killed. Obviously, uh, and the only person, the person who suffers the most is his, his, you know, surviving girlfriend, wife. She, you know, she's the one who sees him dead on the news and doesn't even get to say goodbye to him. Like, this is a real, like, visceral tragedy that happens before your eyes, and it's because of this guy's inability to accept that you know your job doesn't define you, that that what you do isn't everything about you. She yeah, and it was a true surprise to her too. Because remember, he was just uh, at work, yeah. and uh, decides, you know what? Yeah, I will go do this job, and uh, and then goes and does it immediately. So that was, I mean, ex- I can't imagine what that would be like to be like no. look at the know. news and be like, not only 
you find out that he's dead, but you found out that he was committing a crime while he was doing it. So, uh, yeah, that was awful. Although, I had a slightly different perspective on it. I sure. saw it as uh, if we don't reintegrate criminals into our society, then they'll, they'll, they'll be forced to commit crimes again. Because as mm. soon as he shows up, his boss treats him like shit. And he's like, like makes it like he's like, I'm gonna steal part of your pay. You're like, oh, you have a skill. Well, fuck your skill. I'm gonna make <laughs> you do like jobs that I know you won't like. And then he, even though he does make it to the grill, he which I I thought was pretty. I was like, oh look, he's play, he's working the grill now. Good job. Um, mm. He still gets treated badly by his employer, and uh, I think that part of that is why he was like, you know what, screw this job. I'll, yeah. I'll go back to crime because at least in crime I, I get respect. Treated fairly. A little well, yeah, bit. I like my coworkers respect me at least. And then he he like tosses his boss to the side on the way out yeah. to kind of you know put that punctuation mark on uh, his action to be like forget this fuck this Uh, shit that that i definitely uh uh, agree with the 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 job not defining your life point to it as well but the way that his employer treated him definitely was not helping him uh stay out of trouble that's definitely true and that is kind of a, a deeper level that you can you can take it to you know i mean they do talk a little bit about prison when uh vincent and neil are sitting down he asked the like he asked neil if he's ready to go back right he says you trying to get back to the prison and oh, like, I'll no. never go back. Yeah. And I think that's um, honored by Vincent at the end when he kills him. Right. He doesn't take him down. He doesn't take him downtown or anything. He kills him like in line with his wishes. Yep. Um, and there's even like a line. Doesn't Neil say at the end is just like, I told you I'm never going back. Um, he does say that. And, Good call, Justin. Oh, thank you. Um, I don't know. It's also like um, if, if we can talk about that um, final like showdown scene. Um, I just want to point out that the only thing that gave uh, uh, Neil away was the light, because mm. if um, Vincent hadn't seen the shadow move, then um, definitely like Neil would have gotten him uh, for sure. Uh, but he saw the shadow move just like a split second before, and then yeah. uh, totally uh, popped the first shot. And as soon as that happened, uh, uh, Neil was finished. Yeah, I love the way that that is shot too. Like like. Not the bullet shot, but the the camera, because mm. you you really get a you instantly understand what happens because it's yeah. just one quick look at the ground where you just see the shadow move, but you you totally understand it. Uh, when I, when I was initially watching it, I thought that the lights coming on were going to reveal Al Pacino and then De Niro is mm. going to come out and cap him, but it actually uh, kind of defies the expectation and it's the shadow of De Niro that gives him away. Uh, which I thought was like a a, a cool yeah, twist. Yeah, the the shadow that he cost cast is the thing that gave him away. And there's something that uh, Joseph Campbell talks about in his like mono myth about like how all stories are similar, and that's something called the shadow, which is like a reflection of your uh, yourself, right? That's like the evil side of you, the side that portrays you, but in a twist. And I think you could say that these two guys are shadows of each other, so it's only appropriate that a shadow betrays them in the end. Wow. Oh, that's some deep symbolism. Yeah, I that's like deep. that. I like that a lot. I'm actually going to take advantage of that real quick and uh, send us to a break. So uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. All right. He's here. search for the scent of your prey and then you hunt them down that's the only thing you're committed to that keeps me sharp on the edge 
where I gotta be. If you wanna be making moves on the street, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. My life's a disaster zone because I spend all my time chasing guys like you around the block. I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best, trying to stop guys like me. You've been walking through our life dead. All I am is what I'm going after. From the Godfather to Scent of a Woman. What do we got? From Raging Bull to Goodfellas. Soon they got our phones, soon they got our houses, soon they got us. Their performances have created a legacy of landmark films. I want full surveillance. That's 24 hours, round the clock. We never close open seven days a week. Now, for the first time, America's two most electrifying actors collide. With this guy, there's more cheap you should pass. The bank is worth the risk. We should take it down. 12.2 million. You're up. This crew is good. Ha! It ain't worth the risks you take. Like in risk versus reward, baby. You're a fugitive number one with a bullet. I'm double the worst trouble you ever had. If I'm there, I gotta put you away. I won't like it. But I'll tell you, you are going down. What if you do got me boxed in? And I gotta put you down. Because no matter what, you will not get in my way. I will not hesitate for a second. Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, in a Michael Mann film. Heat. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're back here, and... Uh, one thing that I had like, a, bi- a big lingering question for me about this movie was, what was the real purpose of Natalie Portman's character? Uh, it, it was like an interesting relationship she had with Al Pacino because she was his stepdaughter. Uh, but he was, and even though she obviously cared a lot about her real father's opinion of her, her real father was a deadbeat and Al Pacino kept coming in for the save and, and like being uh, actually a good dad to her Uh in, on multiple occasions. So, uh, bis- beyond that, I'm wondering what was her purpose. It, it almost seemed like her, uh, for to me at least, it seemed like her uh, suicide attempt was all, all, like a little bit melodramatic because what I, what I, as I understood it, she was committing suicide because she's upset with her dad. Um, mm. But I'm not. That didn't seem like a good enough reason to kill yourself. So, uh, hmm. I don't know. Can, can we expand on that? Yeah, sure. Uh, Justin, do you, how, do you feel the same way? Uh, I have, like, a lot of opinions on it, just because I feel that, like, Natalie Portman's kind of almost, like, um, not even really, like, a, a character. You know what I mean? She, her, like, sole purpose of being in this movie is for Vincent and his wife to, I guess, connect. And um, honestly, yeah, it really is just for them to connect and to just be, like, a morally redeeming aspect of Vince's life because he's... Um, it's been stated in this movie again and again that he totally like ignores his wife and he like doesn't care and isn't like kind or passionate, mm. but he's definitely like kind and definitely passionate and quite frankly is more of a, much more of a like proper father figure to uh, Natalie Portman's character. Um, I wish I could remember her name, 
but um, <laughs> I guess that's kind of uh, intrinsic of um, of how you guys felt about her because you can't even remember what she's called. Lauren. Yeah, Lauren. That's okay. right, Lauren. Lauren. Um. um so, okay. like, but but this movie feels like it has it's too well put together to just. I think okay. I think you guys have a sort of a point that like she's not much of a character and that she kind of serves a narrative role. Um, but I don't think she's. I think she's just as much of a character, if not more of one, than Van Zant, uh, which we'll talk about later. Okay. I don't think he does much in this movie either. But I I, think, I agree. Uh, but I think that I think her role goes a little deeper than what you got, where you're scratching the surface here. And I like to I like to cite something that I know Benjamin is very familiar with, and that's a a flash game called. Um, drink beer, neglect family. Yes. Where you go around avoiding pictures of your family and collecting beers until you you can't stand anymore. Um, and at the end of every, after you lose the game, um, you return home to your family and you see the devastation that you've wrought because you're not there. And I think that Natalie Portman's suicide is a perfect example of something like that. Vincent's neglect was a direct result. Uh, yeah, Natalie Portman's. Um, Suicide attempt is a direct result of Vincent's neglect. Him not being there for his family allowed her the opportunity to commit to try to commit suicide in his bathtub. And when when that comes together, right, it, it's like, oh wow, like even though you think you're doing right, even though you think you're doing all these things, even though you think you can save your wife from the horrors of this world, they will come to your doorstep anyway, and they will knock fucking loud. So having this like shown to you in this very visceral thing with this little girl who like you know it's just seen as troubled it's it's rough and then at the very end when um he's dealing with you know the aftermath of this right she's in the hospital and he's sitting there with his wife and his pager goes off and his wife's like listen i know who you are and there's no way you can't answer that call and so he abandons his family again to go after neil who is the one thing he really cares about you know, I think this, these two things, these two actions by our, our main characters at the end really reflect each other well. In that, you know, Vincent abandons his family at the most, you know, that probably the worst time ever um, so far. And then Neil, of course, uh, you know, goes after Wayne Grow, abandoning his rule, his one rule of letting things go. And both, it costs, I mean, they, it brings them together, but it costs Neil everything. And of course, you know, Vin who knows what Vincent's lost, but he certainly lost something that he admired. Okay, I, I guess I kind of okay. see that. And and like uh, the fact that she does it in she she tries to commit suicide in Vincent's apartment shows yeah. it like hotel or yeah hotel. That was where she like she did she intentionally chose that, and it wasn't her actual. She was she wanted him to find her, right? Yeah. Right, but wasn't the reason she was committing suicide like? Was that I know like was that Vincent's fault or was that her actual dad's fault? Because up well, until this point, Vincent had been, I guess, the better of the two dads. I mean, yeah, but like marginally, right? Like he he still wasn't there that much, and maybe she felt betrayed by his lack of attention too, right? No, none of her father figures care enough about her to be there when she needs them. So maybe, but also, um, just to just to point it out, we actually sure. don't meet her dad. No. Um, and I feel like there was a version of the script where, um, honestly, like Neil could, could have like been her dad in the sense, cause like, I don't know, she makes this, like, they make it a very clear point that her dad is like non-existent and does not care about her and whatever. And with Neil saying that, you know, he's ready to walk out in, you know, 30 seconds, 
um it just makes me kind of like think like was that supposed to be like a part of the script where um neil would have been like revealed as the um father figure to uh lauren the stepdaughter and that's just it's like something to connect uh these two characters who are um essentially you know the master uh masters of the chessboard um together even more like intimately than just um their jobs yeah, you know, but like, doing their jobs and i, I understand par- why they didn't do that i'm just saying um, yeah 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 and, and I, I i mean i think part of the beauty of this movie is how you get the relationship between uh de niro and pacino without ever actually having them meet i mean you have them meet at at two key points right but before that like i think that scene when he first pulls him over is so incredible right he he pulls up behind him he says hey you want to get a cup of coffee Neither of them introduce each other. Neither of them explain who the other one is, but they know that the other one knows who exact, exactly what's going on, right? Neil knows he's being followed by Vincent. He knows exactly who Vincent is as soon as Vincent shows up. And he just, he doesn't say, hey, I know who you are. Hey, I'm Vincent. He doesn't say any of that. He just, they just know, right? Because there's already been all of this development, you know, without them ever having had to touch. They just know who each other are. So I really like that there's this disconnect between the two characters. I don't like that they, they could have been connected. Honestly, I feel like that makes it a little bit more melodramatic, a little more cheesy. And this movie really tries to make okay. it real. You know, I, th- I think even though this movie definitely doesn't end well for anyone, I mean, everyone seems to be upset by the end of it or dead. You still kind of feel like justice is served and you still feel like, right? You still feel like the universe is imbalanced. Like, it's weird how even though all of your favorite characters are dead, you're still like, Oh well, this kind of ended on almost a hopeful note. Weirdly, well, it's 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 a lot of it's like direct results of choices, right? Everyone, I guess, a lot of characters could have had better endings had they made better decisions, and like especially, I mean, a very mm. obvious one is De Niro going to the uh, airport hotel that he could have ridden off into the sunset. He had his uh, ticket out of L.A. He had the girl. He had the girl. But he decided yep. that he wanted to have revenge, and he wanted revenge more than he wanted to get out. Yeah, and, no, and, and, and uh, to, I got to time. spend time with, uh, right? And he, maybe he maybe he thought he had time, maybe he didn't. But he knew that going in there was a risk. Uh, yep. And and honestly, uh, like as soon as he made that decision, I, I I knew he's not making that alive. Yeah, and I think that's what makes this movie so so interesting is that you can definitely see where the things fall apart. Just as Justin keeps saying, it's a chess game, right? Like there's there's consequences to your actions. Everything you do, you can't go back from. So, um, you just have to deal with how the board is laid in a way. Yeah, I can, uh, and I can definitely find a satisfaction in uh, choices having consequences uh, and yeah. like not having an, a happy ending if it wasn't earned. And uh, a lot of these, you know, there, you, I think you could pinpoint every, like every, uh, for each character where they chose to go down the path that they ended up going, uh, and they, and they end up with. A re- like a direct result from that um something i like about this movie is that every like um because we're talking about choices but every character's motivations are fairly like laid out and kind of mm. obvious um and that's not like a disservice to the movie that's just like it's very like insightful to us as like the the viewer well i would i would um, say it, it does a good job of of making their motivations obvious without explicitly yeah. stating them like this is yeah. a movie where you actually you do need to pay attention the whole time uh, and keep track of you know this ensemble cast and and who they all are. Uh, like, it's they're not going to repeat uh, a lot of what what's important in this movie. So you have to catch it the first time. And yeah. for that, I, I like it's the, the movie counts on you to be an intelligent 
movie viewer. Uh, and a lot of movies <laughs> fall short of that and kind of insult mm. your intelligence. So yeah. I, I can definitely appreciate that from this and movie. I think that's due a lot to the acting, you know, in this movie. I mean, Justin, you said it right. It's it's obvious, but, like, it's not explicit, right? You see these guys' reactions. You don't see, have to see how they how they talk or, or even what they say. You just see the stares that they give people, the looks, the meaningful looks that they give. It just conveys so much with just, like, very simple, very subtle acting. And... I mean, it's it's powerful stuff, and it makes it clear exactly what they're thinking without ever having to say what it is, and that's just a testament to having excellent actors, you know, in your arsenal. Um, so okay, I let's let's, let's move on to uh, why Neil is at the hotel, which is Wayne Grow. Wayne Grow. Yes, I want to talk about Wayne Grow. Wayne Grow is like such a badass. He only has one name. Like that's, he's um, like Madonna. Yeah. Honestly, um, <laughs> he's the Madonna I, of like heists. I kind of feel like Wayne Grow no. is the <laughs> true antagonist of this movie. Okay, um, because he's very like it's laid out in the um, in the scene where he like kills the uh, uh, kills the girl at the hotel. The prostitute. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, that like he is like definitely just evil. He's got like, a well, Nazi tattoo what, what, on his stomach. Yeah, what, like, what tipped you off to that? Was it the the swastika <laughs> on his chest? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, totally. It was definitely the swastika on his uh, stomach area or wherever it was, and um, the fact that he definitely like uh, was like, oh, the Grim Reaper's paying you a visit, um, and she kind of got like wigged out a little bit. Yeah, he didn't get well, it, definitely. Then, well, well, okay, so. My interpretation with that is that he's a serial killer, right? Yeah, he's like a. He's, he's like kill. he loves killing people, which well, is why they, he. They said he it. Uh, it his up. semen matches the like the other one. It's officially like he's a serial killer now. Yeah, right. That's right. He do, they do say the word serial. Um, yeah. So that that I mean that was kind of interesting, kind of have that that kind of develop in a way. He's like he's not just a loose cannon, right? He's not just an unprofessional. He's just like he's this insane guy who goes around killing people for fun. Which is, explains why he botches the guy, the, the first job, right? Yeah, because he kills the, the guard guy, for no, basically no reason. Mm-hmm, because um, the guy like looked at him funny or whatever, and then because he killed the one guard, they had to kill the other two. Yeah. Um, and which is a shame. I mean, that that last guy, he was just standing there like, "What's going to happen?" And they were like, "I guess we got to shoot you, man." Like, sorry about it. Oh yeah, and that's yeah. that's uh, like uh, another appreciation for loudness because uh, I mean, throughout mm-hmm. this movie, I, I don't know if it's just because we were watching it like with this volume slightly higher but like the gunshots were loud and and at least with the explosion that got them into the back of that truck they respected the power of the loudness because those guys were definitely deafened like they're bleeding out of their ears yeah if you're in a metal box and a bomb goes off off the side of it you're definitely losing those eardrums yeah and and i there's a website that i was uh, referencing a lot when i was you know, preparing for this review, and that's uh, deepfocusreview.com, and they talk about heat in there, um, and so it's really interesting. You should definitely check it out. Um, one of the things they talk about is how they purposely engineered the the sound effects to be like super loud, super jarring, um, like like real gunshots, and they spent a long time trying to perfect those so that they were like you know insane. Like you really kind of felt it. I mean, that firefight um, outside the bank is just it's, it's so loud oh, and it's, it's so, so chaotic. Loud. It's so hard to even tell what's going on just because like you're constantly, you know, pulling your headphones off of your ears because you're just like, what's happening? It's so loud. I can't hear anything. Right. Well, yeah. it's like I love when they do include that in movies because another like 
it is cool to have like some guy delivering like a monologue and, and like maybe being able to shoot while he's talking like but in real life if you're that close to a gun that's the only thing you're hearing is when, yeah. that, when those bullets are going off it is it's deafening it, it literally it is, is deafening def- it's harmful for your ears to be that close to a gun without ear protection uh and i yeah. I, I think that that's uh realistic in the in the the, way, the sound production of this movie right and i mean that's that's like a powerful thing that you can do, right? Is like kind of mess with your audience a little bit, have them changing their volume or, or whatever, right? You need you need those quiet moments to be quiet, but you also need the loud moments to really be loud so that you can really understand like what's going on to you, with your characters. Additionally, as while we we're talking about respecting the loudness of things that are really loud, the sure. helicopter was really freaking loud. Oh, and yeah. real helicopters are really freaking loud. So, uh, you know, props <laughs> to those guys. I mean, it sounds as easy as just turning the volume uh helicopter props you mean yeah (laughs) that was they uh they did well with that honestly i kind of wonder how this movie would uh like play out in a movie theater setting where like Hmm. um you're just like in a room with loudspeakers and um you know it's like pitch black in the room except for what's on screen and just you hear all these gunshots go off and like um obviously in a movie theater you're gonna be like way louder because you're in a movie theater and um i don't know um if i could go back in time it would be kind of cool to like watch this in a in a movie theater setting yeah i mean i feel like that's the ideal setting for a movie yeah true um sure why not um can we talk about uh van zant for a moment because let's talk about i um i don't know so i just just to refresh ourselves the whole point of the opening scene with the armored truck is that they're stealing bonds from from him essentially and he's a money launderer so it's already i guess like illegal that he has the bonds anyway so he's gonna like they know he's gonna like buy them back right well they're um, insured 100 well, percent, so he's oh, gonna okay. get the money back regardless and then they were gonna sell him his own stolen bonds so he can make like they both can make money off of that somehow i'm not like an right expert because on they're bonds. gonna they were, he would buy them back for a greater price than they could get on the street i think right Right, but then once he finds out about it, he's like, oh, I'm going to kill these guys. Yeah, it's like, they um, think they can mess with me. Yeah. Right, which which is like a really cool scene when uh, um, Neil is in the parking lot. Um, and like a, that, like it's like a, I want to say fairgrounds kind of parking lot. It's like a huge thing with all these yeah. like little places. And then the guy pulls up next to him and he's like, gives him his instructions. And then, um, of course, he tells him to come alone, but he doesn't come alone, of course, because he wants to make sure the deal goes goes right, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, it doesn't. But they all get out alive, and the other guys are not uh, so lucky. Oh, the guy who tried to sneak up behind them gets totally murked. Oh, he, like, not, first he gets God. smashed up against the other car, so he breaks his leg. And then while he's hobbling around trying to, like, shoot somebody, he gets yeah. shot in the back, spun around, shot in the back again, spun around again, and then full force hit by a car. Like, this <laughs> this man went out like a legend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> with, this man was abused. Well, yeah, like, like so many injuries, uh, which was actually really cool. And, uh, well, I, don't, I, I guess I'll, I'll let it stay here, but the, the, the action sequences in this movie uh, were intense as well. Something oh, that yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed. Uh, the action sequences were great yeah, in this yeah. movie. It was yeah, they were really good and uh, but they weren't like the the focus either, right? Not like, at all. No, oh, not which, at all. Which, no, no, which no. was I, yeah, I think it makes this movie such a entertaining watch. It's just like the pieces, like the intense character drama, is intercut with just really amazing like action, and it's just uh, it's so it's so incredible and like you really, I don't know, it's it's unique stuff. It's stuff that like 
it's really impressive to see. Honestly, it, there's a lot of drama inside the action sets too. Like during yeah. the bank heist, um, there's like a lot of crazy things that are just going down all at once. And then like everyone gets shot. Um, like for example, Chris gets shot, and like Robert De Niro has to like. Well, he gets shot on his after back. he. Oh, yeah, Chris gets shot. That's right. But I was talking about Michael. Michael gets oh, shot yeah, after Michael. he picks up a kid. Yes. Like, ugh, man, that was rough. Uh, and like, cause he you he has kids. You see those kids earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you? How could yeah. you do that? How, as like a parent, how can you take like another person's child like hostage like that? And then oh, the scene with Vincent having to, like really like trust that he's gonna like um, hit uh, Michael on the, for, on the mark. For me, that was like it doesn't matter. These guys are going down. Like this was like a. This is a, sh- a sign that he doesn't care about other human lives in a way, right? Mm. He really just cares about getting the job done, taking these criminals down. So, yeah, because normally I feel like, um, you know, you wouldn't just like trust yourself. You trust like a, a professional, like sniper to uh, save he's a, the day. He's a cop. Can... He probably goes to the gun range all the time, right? Yeah, yeah probably. I guess it's true. I don't know. I just feel like because, um, like, I don't know. He kind of doubts himself for a second because he's like, "Wow, there's a kid. If I like fuck up, then like." I don't. Oh, I didn't see um, that at all. I saw him like. Uh, for some reason, I remember him smirking a little bit, like, ah, oh, good. He picked up a kid. Now I can kill him. <laughs> oh. Um, he just knew he was going to make the shot. I mean, uh, like, a, a kid, as far as human shields go, uh, kids are a little less effective because they're so That's small. That's true. So, <laughs> oh, I thought they were really mobile, so I thought that made them easier. Well, sure. It's like they have different stats, you know, high mobility, <laughs> low coverage. So <laughs> different stats. You get a fat kid. Shield. That's really good. Cause right. Yeah. Some of the bullets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the thickness of your human shield. Yeah, it's it's all you know. It's all. A it's all something you have to factor make. in when you're. Yeah. Right, but but uh, while we're appreciating some of the action scenes, I, I want to appreciate how this movie starts off, because just like we said, there's not a lot of explicit uh, explanation what, or what's going on. Like there's they're not like, I don't think it even tells you it's in L.A. specifically. Uh, you just kind of gather. Well, they do West. mention the LAPD and stuff. There are certain things they say. That well, sure, but like in the beginning of the movie, oh, yeah, like yeah. where, the where you see Robert De Niro's wearing a paramedic uniform, like he's coming out of the hospital, and all these guys are talking on walkie-talkies, and you kind of get a vague idea of what's going on. Uh, but then it just becomes so obvious when they stop the Brinks trucks and then slam into the truck, and suddenly you're right into the action. Yeah. Uh, and it almost... It, it definitely opens up more questions uh, than it answers, I, I guess. Like, it just, it, it kind of gets you invested with the action, but then uh, leaves, you know, sets up the rest of the movie for you to kind of figure out what the hell is going on. I mean, even yeah. getting inside the truck, I was surprised to see that they weren't going in for money. They were going for some package or some papers. I mean, uh, like, what, you know, and it, it, which I thought was a really good hook. Uh, and, mm. and they do it all without having to uh you know put it in a baby bottle for you and say this is why you should care about this movie right they don't uh, explain that they don't explain what they're doing three times to the new guy right because exactly exactly and and they uh they, so without having any of that like plot exposition dialogue uh it sets the tone and gets you interested in this movie uh right off the bat which i really i really thought was cool yeah and i want to talk a little bit we'll go back to that 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 one scene we were just talking about when they're in the parking lot um i mean this this is this is again like brought to real focus through the character development and character direction. Um, when uh, uh, De Niro has his call with Van Zant, he says, "Hey, the you know, the plan didn't it didn't go according to plan. You tried to kill me." And um, yeah, forget about Van, the money. Um, yeah, Van, Van Sant uh, is ta- is like you know saying, "Hey, you know, like what are you doing right now?" And De Niro says, "I'm talking to an empty m- telephone." And the guy's like, "What?" And he's like, 
because there's a dead man on the other on the end of this fucking line. Oh man, which is really well oh, delivered. That line like, is badass. Well, um, so good. Okay, and this is what I this is what gets me to my point on Van Zant. So, um, why do you have to kill Van Zant after he tries to kill you? All right. And it's because you want to make sure that everyone else knows you can't try to kill me or you're going to die. It's like a really good way to protect yourself is to have that intimidation factor uh, where anyone who messes with you has a death sentence, right? Uh, And and he he, he delivers. He ends up killing Van Zandt and Van Zandt pays the price, right? But what, what is he really accomplishing there if he was on his way out? Uh, it's the same thing that I look at when he goes to kill um, Wayne, Wayne Grow, right? He he's going in there to settle a score uh, and maybe like retain a reputation and to keep up that whole, uh, you know, the knowledge that if Master you mess with me, you're world. gonna die, basically, which is good protection for future jobs. But if he's getting out of the game, those are totally unnecessary risks. Well, uh, yeah. I think it's more about just tying up loose ends. Um, because like obviously Van Zant knows like who he is or at least like knows that like he exists and then hires Wayne Grow, who um, eventually just turns out to be a huge whistleblower for the police, which lets them in on the bank job, which, you know, from there leads just, you know, it's kinda like a domino effect to, you know, lead throughout mm. the rest of the story. But um he kills off Van Zant to not only like, keep a promise, but also um just to, like, tie up loose ends, like, oh, like, I'm leaving, and, like, this is unfinished business. Time to, you know, close out, uh, I don't you know, know, close out debts. I kind and... of agree with, with Benjamin on this one, just because it's more, like, more, it seems, like, motivated by revenge than anything, right? Well, I feel well, like... Well, what is Van Zandt gonna do with, to him moving forward? Because Van Zandt's, uh, like, I, I don't know if Van Zandt has, uh, like, is still looking to kill him at that point. His, his attempts had failed, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, but also, I feel like, you know, personally, Wayne Grow's death, where he, like, goes after Wayne Grow, is more about revenge rather than, um... No, just, that, like, that's definitely true. Yeah, that's, yeah, no, I know. That's I definitely that. true. I just feel like Van Zant was more of a, like, um, where's Wayne Grow? Do you know? And it's just, like, once his usefulness ran out, it was just dead. Because, that's a good point. He was, um, he was looking for, uh, Wayne Grow when he went for him. Uh, yeah. And so, um, whilst, like... He's definitely out for blood and out for revenge. He's like he kills Van Zant. I think just to like clean up a loose end, really. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't even need him for Wayne Grow eventually. Yeah. But you're right. I, I guess I, I do take it back because he went there to and at least give give Van Zant the opportunity to give up uh, Wayne Grow. But right. he was gonna die either yeah. way. Um. Okay. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about? Because I got I got one last thing, which is just. Uh... Pacino's incredible lines in this movie. Yes, and I, oh, I think it's a great geez. way to, to wrap this up. So take us home, Joey. Okay, so um, I just, I'm going to list some of them off. So he's got he's talking to that one guy who's like an informant, and mm-hmm. the the guy's trying to get him to uh, go after some of his uh, like his uh, competitors, right? Some some other car thieves, and he's like, "Why are you doing this?" He's like, "I'm a good citizen." And Pacino says, "I'm Donald Duck." Like, <laughs> clearly, I'm not. And clearly, and clearly that guy's either. clearly yeah. not a good citizen. Clearly not. A he good really citizen. he was right. trying to get oh. rid of his competition. Yeah, and and then uh, later on that conversation, he says, "Well, I am over fucking whelmed," which I really like that. Like how you you split up a word to add an expletive. Like that's <laughs> that's good use. Oh, dude, the, the, um, the F word is one of the greatest words in the English language, and Al Pacino definitely knows uh, knows that. <laughs> He's a savant of the F word. <laughs> yeah, like, um, yeah. I am absolutely fucking lutely, uh, impressed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, another another good one is when he's um, he's interrogating Hank Azaria's character. Oh, uh, and he says, who? 
Like he's like, who, who? What are you, a fucking owl? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and man. of course, uh, like oh. probably the most iconic line in in this movie, uh, which is um, something that I will try to replicate here, but I don't know if I constantly can. I can't do it justice. Because when he's talking about uh, why he's banging Chris's wife, right? mm-hmm. Hank, like yeah. Hank Azaria is banging Chris's wife, and he says, "Well, it's because she's she got, got a great, great ass. Because like, <laughs> she's got a great ass. Yeah. She, he, the way he moves his hands, like the way he pauses on that, it's just like, like what? Is oh, dude, his <laughs> eyes like, like kind of bug out too. It's perfect. The delivery only is Pacino. Perfection. Only oh, Pacino. Gosh. Only Pacino could deliver that much. Yeah, it's so good. The whole his whole face shakes and everything. Uh, it's funny." Oh, true. All right. So, well, yeah. Overall, I, I think this is a really great movie. Honestly, I think it's worth more than a single watch. Uh, as grueling as that is, maybe you know, not in too, not right after <laughs> you have each other. To, yeah, you have to. First of all, you have to plan it because it is a three-hour movie. You do have to commit to the bit. Yes. But it's worth watching. And yeah, and, I mean, all-star cast that definitely delivers, and even some bigger names playing smaller roles because it's best earlier of in the their 90s. career. Yeah. Um, and uh, but yeah, any final thoughts on it, Joey? No, definitely do watch this movie. Yeah, definitely watch this. Well, definitely, wait, did you say definitely? definitely watch? Oh, sorry, definitely go watch this movie. Go, I yeah. Say. I guess if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this podcast, definitely yeah, go, go see watch it. this movie, um, please. But um, yeah, and yeah, shout out to WT White Seven on Twitter for uh, recommending this movie to thank us. Thank you for the suggestion, my friend. Yeah, I mean, there is so much to, to dissect in this movie. I'm sure we didn't get to everything, so not even close. Oh no, no, no way. But all right, so we'll wrap it up there. Thank you two for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening to Affable Chat. You can find us on iTunes, Google, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting app. Please rate us five stars and review us. That really helps us reach uh, a new audience and expand our audience. We love feedback. Chat with us on Twitter, at Affable Chat, or send us a good old-fashioned email, affablechat at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.